Now, though, let me uh, read uh, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. From out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, once again we come asking that you would be our teacher, that as we approach your perfect word, you would illumine our understanding of it so that our hearts and our minds would Uh, wrap themselves around it and that we might be helped in this time. Uh, Father, we gather as a people in need of Jesus and and as those who follow Jesus, the people who want to know what it means to follow him together. So would you come be our teacher, we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, a question as we start. If you would uh, pull out a pen or a pencil or your phone or whatever you like to take notes with and jot down what comes to mind when I ask the question, what is poverty? What is 
poverty. How would you define it? How would you describe it? Take a moment and jot down a couple of words that come to mind when you hear that question. What is poverty? What is poverty then? Back in the 1990s, the World Bank consulted some 60,000 people from 60 low-income countries, so 60,000 poor people, and asked them the same question. What is poverty? Here are, are three of the responses they received. First, from Moldova, for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples, we are afraid of everything, and we depend on everyone, yet no one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Second, from Guinea-Bissau, I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to help feed the family. Third, from the Cameroon, the poor have a feeling of powerlessness, and an inability to make themselves heard. Look down at your bulletin and and compare those answers to the things that that came to your mind. How how do those two compare? The things that you thought of when you heard this question and and, and those descriptions from the poor themselves. Because Steve Corbett and Brian Ficker have made a a thoughtful observation based on their own research and and the research of of the World Bank. And they've they've noted that when describing poverty, North Americans, like, like us, we tend to describe it in material terms. So what does it mean to be poor? Well, we think of not having enough money, perhaps not having uh, clothing or or shelter or or medicines or food. We tend to describe it in material terms. Interestingly, though, when the poor themselves describe poverty, they do speak of these material things, but they primarily describe their condition in psychological or social terms, in terms of of shame, inferiority, uh, powerlessness, humiliation, or fear. Now, this distinction is an important one, and not just for kind of academic interest. This distinction is an important one because the way in which we define poverty, the way in which we describe it, the way in which we frame this issue will have a huge impact upon the kind of solutions we choose to address it. The way in which we define poverty plays a major role in determining the solutions we use to address it. So it's like going to the doctor, right? An accurate diagnosis is going to be essential for effective treatment. And so perhaps if we think the primary cause of poverty is a lack of of material resources, then we will primarily try to provide these material resources to the poor. Alternatively, if we think that the primary cause of poverty is a lack of of knowledge, then we will primarily try to provide education to the poor. 
If we think it's primarily oppression by powerful people, then we'll work for for justice. If we think the primary cause of poverty is the the sins of the poor themselves, then we'll concern ourselves solely with evangelism and discipleship. This question, what is poverty, is hugely significant because our answer will really dictate what we do next. And today, to sort of set up Missions Month, to provide a foundation for us as we move through the rest of this month together, I want us to look at the the Bible's understanding of poverty. And we're going to see how the Bible gives us an expanded understanding of what poverty is. Material, like we'd think of in North America? Yes, of course, but broader than that. Psychological, as the poor themselves have described? Yes, of course, but broader even than that. We're going to see in early Genesis a a framework for understanding poverty that suggests our, our poverty can be seen in at least four areas. So let's look at these four areas together, starting in Genesis chapter 3. Now, of course, the second you dive into Genesis chapter 3 and you see the the heading that the ESV editors have given it, uh, the fall, we have to stop and remind ourselves of the context of creation. Because the Bible doesn't start on this negative note. Indeed, the Bible starts on a gloriously positive note. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, telling us about the God who in his lavish imagination created all things beautiful and perfect out of nothing. And then into that perfect creation, he places humanity. Creating humanity is quite complex and multifaceted beings. Beings that are are spiritual, but are also psychological and relational and and physical. Scriptures have a, a very full and positive vision of what it means to be human. And it's in that positive context then that we arrive at Genesis 3 and the fall. It's sin enters the world and, and with it these four poverties. Let's count them off together. The first poverty we encounter in our text is perhaps the obvious one and that's the, the spiritual poverty or the poverty with God as our relationship with him is damaged. See the Bible describes a God who yes created all things but he wasn't then content just to watch his creation from afar and let it run. He's the God who creates and then has intimate involvement with his creatures. And so for Adam and Eve, he he cares for them and he provides for them and he teaches them. He's involved in this intimate relationship with them. But now look, verse 8 of chapter 3, as intimacy is replaced with fear. They hear him walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hide themselves from him. He calls to them and says, where are you? And they reply, we hid Because we were afraid. Their intimacy is replaced with fear. No longer do they enjoy the relationship that is found in the garden in the cool of the day. Now they hide themselves out of fear. The riches of their intimate relationship with God have been lost. As they experience this spiritual poverty. Second kind of poverty we see in this passage is what we could call a psychological poverty or a a poverty not with God but with self as their relationships even with their own souls is soured. We know that they had enjoyed this great intimate relationship with the Lord and as such had enjoyed the, the peace and deep satisfaction of knowing that they were his children and knowing that he was well pleased with them. But now look what's introduced in verse 7. Now they feel shame 
The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and so they sew fig leaves together and make themselves clothing. Look at verse 25 of chapter 2. It says, The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, you sometimes think that's a kind of curious verse to have in the Bible. You know, why, why is it just, was Adam just like really pleased with his abs? You know, was he just like naked and not ashamed? It's not really, it's not really a physical thing. It's a, it's a metaphor for, for vulnerability. That they were themselves and entirely themselves. Naked as the day they were born physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And they weren't ashamed of who they are. They had this peace that they were exactly what God had, had made them to be. And now we see this, this psychological poverty entering the world as they start to feel shame for the first time, realizing their nakedness, trying to cover up who they really are. This internal peace is, is shattered as this self-reproach starts to grip their souls. And the riches of this individual peace are, are lost. Third kind of poverty we see in this text is a relational poverty or a poverty we could say with others as their relationship with each other starts to break down. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other starts to break down. Chapter 2 is an amazing passage in Genesis where we read God saying that it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be on his own. And what the Lord does is, you remember, he parades all the animals before Adam that he might name them. And as Adam sees all these animals, he realizes, oh, none of them are quite like me. I don't really fit with any of these. And so the Lord gives him this gift, the solution to the problem of human loneliness, providing him with this bride. And when Adam sees her, he's delighted. He's absolutely delighted. Look at um, verse 23 of chapter 2. This at last, he says, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. So pleased is he with her, such is his delight in her, that he bursts into the first recorded human poetry. It's an amazing section of scripture. And look, (laughs) it takes 12 verses for the honeymoon to end. You see it there? The man said to God, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Isn't this interesting? Sin has entered the world. And Adam's response is, Well, first of all, God, this is kind of your fault. The woman that you gave to me, this woman that you gave to me, uh, this, is, this is how all this happens. I don't know what you're looking at me for, right? And, okay, you're God. I guess I can't blame you. But then... It, secondarily at least it's her fault right Um, bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman and it's all her fault right the honeymoon is over in the space of a couple of paragraphs the relational intimacy that they enjoyed has been lost as they experience this poverty with each other fourth kind of poverty we see in our text is a physical poverty or a poverty with the rest of creation as their relationship with the world itself is spoiled in verse 28 of chapter 1 you can see it there God had given humanity this uh, great commission this stewardship over all that he had made to understand the world and to manage it and to create in it and to enjoy the purpose and the fulfillment of, of meaningful work But now, verse 16 of chapter 3. The ground itself, 
the childbearing process are, are cursed so that life no longer works like it was meant to. Things, uh, their interaction with the world is no longer as smooth as it was intended to be. The riches of their stewardship have been lost. So the summary is that sin enters the world, and we understand, right? It ruins everything. It's comprehensive. It's all-encompassing. Brings poverty in all directions, vertically with God, internally with ourselves, horizontally with each other, and and all around with the rest of creation. Where humanity was designed to experience flourishing, we now experience these different kinds of poverty. Now, we take a moment too, just to sort of uh, make this a little more concrete perhaps by, by looking at our own lives. Because these aren't just four things that kind of we can see in a book from, from long ago. These are things that we experience on a daily basis. Uh, poverty with God. You ever find, have you ever, ever find yourself bored with God? Ever find yourself disinterested? Ever find yourself afraid of him? Angry with him? Distrustful in him? You're experiencing that poverty. You're experiencing that your relationship with God is not what it was intended to be. That an intimacy has been been lost and in its place is poverty. Poverty with self. We experience this as well when we're prideful about our achievements or about our potential. When we're insecure about whether or not we'll, we'll have what it takes. When we're anxious, when we're worried, when we're afraid, when these internal fears creep up in our souls what's happening you're experiencing the effects of the fall you're experiencing this kind of of poverty with of self that that the bible describes poverty with others exactly the same way you know who of us hasn't had an argument this week you understand that the argument you had with your spouse in the car on the way to church is an argument that has been happening since eden the relational breakdown, the tension and, and the fallout, perhaps the loneliness or the isolation, the frustration over your inability to, to know and understand someone, your frustration over the fact that even though you talk, they don't seem to know or understand you. It's not just theoretical stuff here. You're experiencing that kind of poverty with others. Or lastly, that poverty with creation. Of course, we can look around and see desperate material poverty in our world. But even if that isn't your experience, we still experience this, this kind of, of poverty with creation. This is why, um, was every day at work this week, did you just live the dream every day? Every day in the office was just beautiful, you know? No stress, no drama. Um, at home, you know, you put the kids' toys away and they didn't pour them all over the floor straight away. That didn't happen? No? Uh, frustration, stress, busyness, workaholism, laziness, all evidences of how we're, we're actually experiencing the fall. We're experiencing the poverty that it's brought. Because in the Bible's eyes, in God's eyes, we're all poor. We're all poor. Might not be materially poor, but poor nonetheless. None of us are flourishing as God has intended for for us to flourish. All of us have things in our life that we wish weren't so. Since the fall, 
Every single one of us lives as those square pegs in those round holes, not quite fitting right because we were designed for something else. And so the Bible presents us with this expanded understanding of poverty, not just about material wealth, but about God, about other, ourselves, about others, about the rest of creation, suggesting that we're, we're all poor, that we're all suffering from poverty in one way or another. Now, why does this matter? Why does this fuller understanding of poverty matter? What difference does it make? What are we meant to do with with it? In many ways, that's what we're going to focus on throughout this month. But today, I want to note two things quickly. First of all, this expanded understanding of poverty is important because it helps us understand Christ's work of redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. Now, I know that sounds like a terribly churchy phrase, but hang with me, because what we're talking about here is actually something really practical. This expanded understanding of poverty helps us understand Jesus' very mission here on earth. Because we have the clear eyes to see as we read Genesis that Jesus didn't just come to be our teacher. Yes, he, he taught us, and we are grateful for that. And he didn't just come to be our example course he's an example for us and we're we're grateful for that but Jesus came primarily to deal with our poverty with God to restore that broken relationship we get the first echo of it in our passage in Genesis 3 15 where the savior is promised the one who will come and ultimately destroy Satan Paul gives us a more overt description in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible when he says, For you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Isn't that great? He's saying, you know why Jesus did all this, right? He left the riches of heaven... To experience poverty on earth and even the poverty of death so that you might receive his riches. That your poverty might be exchanged for riches. That he might give you that gift. That Christ primarily came to fix that relationship with God. Christ's cross enables us to be back in relationship with him because it removes the barrier that separated us from him. And so Jesus will say, blessed are who? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who recognize they don't have it all together. Blessed are those who know they're in need of forgiveness. Why, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their poverty because they're the ones who will receive my riches. Second reason, and perhaps... Um, more applicable for today is our expanded understanding of of poverty. Helps us understand Christ's work of of redemption, yes, but it also helps us understand God's work of broader restoration. There's creation, there's fall, there's redemption, but then there's also restoration. That Yes, Jesus came to restore our relationship with God, but he cares about our other relationships as well. He cares about our other poverties as well. And he has come promising, what, that he'll make some things new? No, he's come promising that he's going to make all things new. Our relationship with God, but our relationship with ourselves and others and the rest of the world as well. That the salvation Jesus brings is every bit as full-orbed as the fall. You think the fall is broader in scope than his plan of redemption? 
No, it's all-encompassing. It's, it's comprehensive as far as the curse is found. And this is, this is actually really important on a very practical level for us to understand. Really important for us to understand both the extent of our brokenness and the extent of Christ's kingdom work. Why? Because churches often fall into emphasizing just one part or another. So on one hand, you'll have some evangelical churches who will primarily define our problem as a poverty with God. And so they'll do a great job of emphasizing the importance of of individual conversion, that you personally need to be saved by Jesus Christ, and you do. But in so doing, they neglect the other poverties. And so they neglect works of mercy. They neglect justice. They neglect practical concern for the poor, because all that really matters is that you're in a right relationship with God. Then on kind of the other end of the spectrum, you'll have some liberal churches who primarily understand our, our, our problem as a, as a poverty of community. And so they'll be all about acts of mercy and all about acts of justice and all about practical concern for the poor, but it becomes this social gospel whereby all God requires is that we do these kind of things and they end up neglecting the need of personal salvation in Jesus. And so from different ends of the spectrum, we kind of get out, out of whack. It's important for us to see the extent of our brokenness and important for us to see the extent of God's salvation because we have to remember that God has all of these things in view. That God cares about his world and everything in it. That yes, he has brought us back into relationship with him and now he's also calling us to participate in this full orb, comprehensive, all-encompassing kingdom work. So we want to be about preaching the gospel for individual salvation and we want to be about showing practical concern for the poor why? because that's what Jesus' salvation is about and all of that is a 20 minute foundation to say that's what missions month's about that's what we're going to spend this month doing together, focusing on this idea of, of redeeming poverty The way we define it plays a major role in how we approach it. You know, accurate diagnosis necessary for effective treatment. And with the Bible's expanded understanding of of poverty, we're going to take time to consider what he might be calling us to do about it. As a people who who are poor in spirit, as a people who recognize our own desperate needs, who have received the riches of grace, how can we now participate in the broader work that he is doing in us, others, and the creation at large. We're going to tackle this in in two ways. First of all, on Sunday mornings. The next three weeks, we'll look at poverty of of self. Week after that, the poverty with others. Week after that, poverty with the rest of creation. Three great speakers lined up to come and share with us. I think we'll find them to be challenging and encouraging and, and, and enjoyable as well. The second thing we're going to do throughout this month is we have a, a series of, of special events planned. Uh, all of this is contained on the, the information sheet that's in your bulletin. Uh, special events include a, a, a dinner that we're hosting here at the church, and I promise you, it is not going to be what you expect. Okay? I'm not going to tell you more than that. I'm just going to tell you it's not going to be what you expect. Come along to that dinner. It's going to be really good. Secondly, Sunday school classes. We've got special Sunday school classes running next week and the week after as well. Take a look at those. I encourage you to attend. And then thirdly, throughout this month, we're doing special tours with our, our, our local Mercy partners. 
So those partners that we work with uh, throughout the year, we're going to uh, take time to get to know them a little more, and the congregation is able to attend these tours and really get a kind of rubber-meets-the-road view of, of what's taking place through this church when it comes to local mercy. I encourage you to come on Sunday mornings, and I encourage you to sign up to just one more of those events, the dinner or a class or a tour. Uh, make that happen, and I think you'll find you really are able to own the teaching of this month more than you'd be able to do otherwise. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we do want to grasp the extent of our need before you. We, we don't want to fall into thinking that, you know, things aren't all that bad. We just had a falling out with you. Uh, we, on the contrary, are in desperate need before you even in our own souls with others and the rest of the world the fall has ruined everything and yet Jesus comes to make everything new and so Lord we pray that this this great um, all-encompassing comprehensive gospel would take root in our hearts and our souls that we would realize it's not just me and Jesus it's us as a community learning what it means to follow him at this time and in this place Uh, how you have lavished riches upon us that we might participate in your broader kingdom work. And I pray that uh, you would use this month to just challenge and encourage and and teach us on these themes uh, that we might uh, be, be useful for your kingdom. And we pray it in his matchless name. Amen.